You are listening to the message by Antioch Centre for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcenterforthenations.org. Thank you. Okay, let's let's get into God's Word, and um, we're going to talk about the Spirit. And the very specifically focused on the word, of course, we know the word means, we know pneuma is breath. We have found that out so that when the Bible speaks of spirit, it speaks of the breath of life that goes in and comes out. And as we breathe in the presence of God, as we breathe in the power of God, that's how we also receive God's peace, his joy. We receive the anointing that way, and the glory of God comes to us. So the Spirit is what we're talking about. And I want to begin by looking at an introductory passage in John chapter 14. On that day you will realize is the key phrase in this introduction where it says, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and that you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. So this passage, when we look at it, it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Actually, some of my favorite chapters are John 14, 15, and 16. Because of my deep love and concern for the Holy Spirit, there's so much described there. But we see this realization that we come into when we begin to understand the Spirit of the living God. On that day, you will realize. Which day is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the advent of the Holy Spirit, of course, in the second chapter of Acts, because uh, after this, before in other places, he says that he will go and he will send a helper to us. He will send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth that comes. He speaks about it in other passages as well. It was a common subject that he kept bringing up because he wanted to make sure we didn't miss this. In fact, that's what he said. Look, don't do anything else, but go and wait for the promise of the Father. And that's what the disciples did. Basically, don't leave home without it. And that's the day that he's referring to. That the fulfillment of the Spirit upon us as humans took place the day of Pentecost. The glory of God came, at least with the Jewish church of the way. Later, really, we as Gentiles, unless you're a Jew here tonight, we had our Pentecost our day of Pentecost, our Advent, was really what happened in Cornelius' house because that was the outpouring upon the Gentiles. But whatever the case, while Peter's yet spoke the word, it says the Holy Spirit fell upon all of those that heard the word. They were baptized in the Spirit. They began to speak with new tongues. This is the day that it's talking about. And uh, that's what Joel prophesied. This is that, spoken by the prophet Joel. So on that day, you realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So we see the amalgam of Father, Son, Spirit, and we get added to the mixture in such a deep fellowship with Spirit that we become integral to God. God becomes integral to us, and we operate as Him. That's why we're called the body of Christ, because we are actually the nose and the ears and the eyes and the hands and the feet of Jesus. So uh, whoever has my commands. And it's interesting to see that Jesus is speaking here about a life lived connected to Him spiritually. And He, asked, and he says, uh, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, Parakletos, to help you. Now, these commands where it's spoken to, if we won't go into depth, but in case you're, you're curious, what are the commands of Jesus? There are actually commands. Different theologians numerically value it in different ways. Um, I have a list I'm going to show you in a second. We're not going to spend the message on that because I want to get to the second chapter, 1 Corinthians, where Paul mentions Spirit, capital S, seven times, which gives us a structure to see seven things about the Spirit that are very important. But here, what commands? Well, we know there's ten commandments, right? I think you all know these. 
And remember, you know, it's great that we know these and these are good commandments. In fact, the rich young ruler told Jesus, yeah, I got this since the time I was a boy. I've done this. But Jesus added to that, didn't he? He said, okay, great. Then you only lack one little thing. Go sell everything and give it to the poor. And he went away sad because that was a real challenge. So that means that the bedrock commandments, the Ten Commandments that were written in stone, literally, were in fact a template for a much more elaborate and full life of spirit that we would inherit as believers. The generation we live in, this self-serve generation, I call it, in sense, not selfish, but we now have to step up to the buffet of spirit and take what we want. What does it say? It says, since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God has allowed violent behavior. And the violent take it by force. It says they raid the kingdom and they take it. So back before this time, that when the Old Testament was giving us commandments like these in the law, you could not take the Spirit. It was not possible. God moved by Spirit, sovereignly did things, but everything was coming from above down to you to touch you, motivate you, move you, voices, even uh, physical things that God would manipulate and do on earth, angels he would send, but our relationship was very different. It's also why Jesus says, you know what, the prophets... The prophets wish they could see what you see. Kings, if they could only, blessed are the eyes that see the stuff you're seeing, he said to his disciples. Because he was referring to this, the fulfillment of spirit life. But the commands we know, you shall have no other gods before me, you shall make no idols, you shall um, not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, keep the Sabbath day holy, honor your father and mother, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet or your neighbor's goods also. So these are the basic Ten Commandments. But now what about the commandments of Jesus? Actually, commonly there are 49 of them. And we're going to go through these very quickly, which, by the way, I've connected for you attributes or qualities of our characteristics we should develop according to these commands. So he commands these things. Repent, which produces humility. Follow me, he says, which produces meekness, strength under control. You yield your will to him. Uh, rejoice is a command that Jesus... By the way, you say, how did you find these? Well, they're all the imperative tense or the form of command out of the mouth of Jesus. So in other words, if Jesus uses the imperative tense or command form, that he's telling you to do it. So these are his commands. Let your light shine. Honor God's law. Be reconciled. And you see these generosity, love, responsibility. Do not commit adultery. That's self-control. Keep your word. Truthfulness. Go the second mile. That's deference. That you're yielding to help people. Number 10 is love your enemies. We go on. Number 11, uh, be perfect. And you're thinking, how is that possible? The Bible, if you go into the be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect, you get a better understanding. But speaking of sincerity, practice secret disciplines of faith. Now these are, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing when you give, when you pray, when you fast. Jesus said, do those things in a secret. Lay up treasure uh, in the right place. That is, of course, in heaven, not on earth. Seek God's kingdom before anything else. That's your initiative in life. Seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added to you. Judge not. Do not cast pearls before the swine, that's discretion. See all the qualities that the commands give us. They're very good. Uh, ask, seek, knock. That's the resourcefulness of you. Once again, ask, seek, knock re is response to or a motivation for us to live within this realm now that we take it by force. We have to press in. We have to ask. We have to seek. We have to knock. Jesus showcased this, this new world by saying your faith has made you whole. So by the belief of individuals, they were taking these. So much that we can do if we stop waiting around for God to do it. Because before it was external, but now he says that rivers of living water will flow from where? From heaven above upon you. No, actually it says from within you. From your innermost being. In other words, when we receive the power of the Spirit, that's what we're talking about tonight, we have everything we need. Remember the 70 when sent out by Jesus, they come back so thrilled. Why? Because they could command demons and the demons would leave people. They were like, this is awesome. 
Why were they so thrilled about that? Because formerly they lived in perpetual fear of demons. They were very superstitious people, actually. You know why they were afraid of going to Gennesaret? Because of the ghost stories they grew up with. Why do you think they thought Jesus was actually a ghost on the water? Because they were terrorized their whole life. In fact, parents would tell children and warn them of these ghosts that would come from Gennesaret if they didn't behave, if they didn't clean their rooms, just like we do. You know, they're superstitions we have in life. But in this case, Jesus was, was coming to tell them, these things no longer, I give you power over all the, the work of the enemy. You will tread upon scorpions and serpents. Don't worry about that. But he said, don't rejoice that, about that, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. So the eternal connection is what Jesus was happy about. So he goes on, uh, do unto others, you know, this choose the narrow way, decisiveness, that is you decide, this is it. And believe me, it's a narrow way. I spent this last week, actually I had the privilege of speaking to three different atheists this week at different places. It's like God is bringing the atheists to me, which I enjoy. I like talking to them. Uh, one had a clever uh, question he had for me. He says, so, so you say I'm an atheist. Well, you too are an atheist. And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, you do not believe that the gods of Hinduism are gods. I said, no. He says, you are a theist to those. So just add one more and you have me. <laughs> I thought, I like that. Answer. That's pretty cool. I like hanging out with these guys, you know, because you can talk and hear and listen. And uh, I think something happened to me when I went and visited uh, Ravi Zacharias in Bali. It kind of jumped on me. So now God's bringing all these atheists to me and these people. And just, you have conversations, but just love people. Do unto others. Choose the narrow way. Bef beware of false prophets. It goes on. We'll go through these quickly. Pray for laborers. That's the, for the harvest. You know where he says... Pray to the Lord of the harvest, send forth labors. Be wise as serpents, fear not. Hear God's voice, take my yoke, honor your parents. Beware of leaven, deny yourself, despise not little ones. Go to uh, offenders, that is looking for a way to make and reconcile. Beware of covetedness, forgive offenders, honor marriage, be a servant, be a house of prayer, ask in faith, bring in the poor, render to Caesar. What is Caesar's? Gratefulness, but also division of church and state. But anyway, love the Lord, love your neighbor. And then the last ones, await my return. Take, eat, and drink. Uh, be born again. Keep my commands. Watch and pray. Feed my sheep. Baptize my disciples. Receive God's power. Make disciples. Now, how many of you, upon looking at all of the commands of Jesus, feel like, I'm doing pretty good? Don't you feel like you do most of these? If some of them make you feel guilty, look, I'm not here to preach that. That's between you and God. Just go and do differently. Find the things that you're not doing. I went through the list today, and actually a couple of them kind of touched me and said, well, I need to work on this a little and do this, so it's good. But we're not under covenant of law. But Jesus said, didn't he? If you keep my commands, then I will ask of the Father, and he will send an advocate or a helper to you. So the Holy Spirit, to begin with, if we're going to live in the Spirit and have the Spirit, we need to pretty much be doing what Jesus wants us to do. And what's the difference? We were talking about this in the, in the Chinese church earlier, sheep and goats. You know, you have, what's the difference between the sheep and the goats? Well, goats are rebellious and sheep are obedient. And that's the difference. If we obey, we do the simple things he tells us to do, that in that day we will be accepted. And he will say, uh, enter into the joy of the Lord, because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. So all these commands we're looking at that Jesus gave us are, are easy to live, actually. And so we're walking in the spirit of Christ when we do that. And actually, as we start off attempting to please our Father by obeying the teachings of Jesus or his commands, then he sends the Holy Spirit as a result. So the first thing to put the horse before the cart, is we start obeying these commands. Start living a life according to Christ's teachings. That's building your house on the rock, not the sand. So then he says, okay, because they're doing that and they're trying, let's give them some help. Why? The Holy Spirit is called the helper, or the parakletos, the one called along your side to help you. So as we start off doing this, he gives us the Holy Spirit to assist us in the process. And, and this is the principal function of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul said. May the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you. We know that word is koinonia, equal shares. So that is, be not 
yoked to this world, be yoked to him. Take my yoke upon you, meaning that you now are equally shared. Remember, a yoke of oxen would be two oxen with the branch or the wooden form structure that holds them together. So they work in unity. That's what we have with the Spirit. Very exciting. Now in this message, as we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to see seven things about the Spirit. And this is really simply derived from the fact that Paul mentions seven times capital S Spirit in this chapter. So it gives us a template. And there's a lot. This is probably my favorite chapter about the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's interactions in our life on a daily basis. We desperately need the Holy Spirit. How many of you would agree with that? I meet people all the time that decide that, um, well, you know, we really don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We don't believe in this. But I find that sometimes, theologically, they're a little confused. But in factual life, they do have the Holy Spirit sometimes. In other words, they're living by the Spirit in some capacities. But they're taking issue with some of the charismatic doctrines or some of the ideas. I have snuck more people into the baptism of the Holy Spirit without them realizing it than you can imagine. Hundreds. By just knowing how to approach them. Uh, one, I think you've heard that story before some of you about when I was in India. And I was ministering with the Brethren Movement. And the first thing when I got to the village is the pastor come up and said, I have to ask you something. Yeah. Uh, what denomination are you from? What He questioned me, grilled me before I could speak. And he told me, look, this is what this is all I ask is that you not say anything about the Holy Spirit. I was like, okay. And that you not say anything about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Okay. Don't say anything about tongues? Okay. Don't say anything about the gifts of the Spirit? He's a pastor. I'm in his church, so I got to, yeah, okay, I'm going to respect that. But basically, he's taking like everything off my list. Because those are the things I talk about, right? So I'm checking them in my mind. I can't, what can I talk about? And he goes, all, by the time he's finished, I have nothing left except for maybe the cross, which is a great place to start. A simple gospel. In fact, that's exactly what Paul does uh, in a moment we're going to see that he had determined among the Corinthians. I'm just going to preach the cross. I'm going to preach Jesus, crucified, buried, raised again, which is the gospel. So as I entered that meeting there in India and in Maharashtra and the villages, I thought, what am I going to teach on? And the Holy Spirit, who can help you out of any situation, all he said was teach on the peace of God. I said, huh. So I started thinking about it. When Jesus talked about the anointing, the ebb and flow, the release of the anointing, the transfer of the anointing, what does he call it? Peace. My peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Not like the world gives. I give this peace to you. Receive. And he, <sighs> receive the Holy Spirit, he says, but in reference to peace. So I said, okay. And I went into that meeting and I preached on peace. I said, today I'm going to talk about the peace of God. And they all, and the pastor, looked, I looked at the pastor like, is it okay? And he said, yes. And so I said, God's peace is amazing. Everybody said, amen. I said, God's peace moves and flows around us at all times. Everybody said, amen. The pastor was still smiling, so I was off to a good start. And I just talked about the peace. Little by little, though, I started talking like this. And God wants to fill you with his peace. He wants to pour the peace of God down from the heavens upon you so that you be completely filled with the peace of God. God's peace will go into you and it will flow out of you. And I, it got richer and richer. And the people were getting excited. And the pastor started looking worried. But I was obeying. Exactly what he said. By the way, it's a true story. I have witnesses. And so I finally said, how many of you here today would like to receive the peace of God? And like every hand went up. So I look at the pastor and I say, pastor, and I said it on the microphone. I said, pastor, is it okay if I pray for them to receive the peace of God? How could he say no? God is so smart. The Holy Spirit is a genius. And he said, Yes, and he took. He looked reluctantly. He said it. And I said, "Right now, right where you are, raise your hands up toward heaven, because the peace of God is coming down upon you in the name of Jesus. Receive the peace of God." And the Holy Spirit dropped like a bomb. Boom! A hundred people 
lost balance, fell to the ground, screaming in tongues. I'm not kidding. So I turned to the pastor, and the pastor was horrified. Not my fault, though. I went over and stood next to the pastor. People rolling on the floor. And he's like, what is that? And I said, it's the peace of God. I said, Pastor, would you also like to receive the peace of God? And bless his heart, he said, yes. Really amazing. So a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Whatever it takes for you to be able to bring people into this wonderful relationship with God's presence. We're going to see seven things about peace. Why don't we start with number one? First Corinthians chapter two, verse one. And I, brethren, because this is the spirit demonstrates to convince. Now we're looking at function of the spirit, but also what we need to expect from the spirit and live in the spirit. My brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know any, not know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, which is the euagelion, the gospel. Very simple. That's our message we preach, that Jesus died, buried, rose again. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, from the very beginning, we see here that the Holy Spirit is the manifested evidence of our message. One of the most important things about the Holy Spirit is that Jesus said, go and preach the gospel. I will work with you, didn't he? Remember, it's a fellowship, koinonia. We do our part, God does his part. We preach the message, but then God stirs the hearts of the hearers. I like what it says in the Amplified, with the most holy emotions. He stirs the feelings. The, the power comes through the word that we preach. But it's really the Holy Spirit that does this. The demonstration of the Spirit. If we really wanted to break this passage down, some of you have heard me do it before. Technically, and it shows up in the Amplified, what it says is, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But after I had been with you, I entered into a state of fear and trembling. Or tremors. So in the Greek word it says that he was there already in the tenses and something happened to him while he was preaching to them the gospel. I remember what happened when, when Peter preached the gospel in the house of Cornelius. While he yet spoke, the Holy Spirit fell on all the people. And so this is the same case. While he's there, he's preaching to them and telling them, I'm just going to keep this simple. But as he does, the Holy Spirit has another idea and pours out and moves and stirs the hearts of the people. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. It's not that Paul was not wise. It's not that Paul didn't have wisdom. He did, and he speaks about it a lot. It's just that he was virtually incapacitated by the fact that the manifestation of the Holy Spirit was just shaking the whole place. So it's very beautiful to see what takes place. And we know when someone is experiencing the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, it can change the way they function. Why did they say, these are drunk? They're just a bunch of drunk people. No, no, it's, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, this is not what you think it is. Don't think that they're drunk. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Meaning that there was some form of behavior they were observing. Because that's what the Spirit did. The Spirit is alive and real. And the manifestation is real. That our faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So the Holy Spirit, above all other things, is with us to convince the people that we speak to. So when we're talking to someone about the gospel, there's nothing wrong with you placing a demand on the manifestation of the Spirit. And as I've always liked the idea that the first message, the very first message ever preached by the church was the explanation of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. That was the first pre When Peter stood up and preached, that was his first message. It was, this, it was entitled, This is That. Because this is that spoken by the prophet Joel. So it seems like if that's our birth, 
All of us should always be in ha having to explain something about someone's feelings or heart or tears or the, the, the glory of God that comes on people. I, for one, love the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. I've, I don't feel alive until I feel it. I've been all day walking in the Holy Spirit. We saw power throughout the day in the services I've been doing. Wonderful things with people weeping and trembling and feeling and receiving and being healed and encouraged. And it's very important that we always allow the Holy Spirit to do whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do. The manifestation. So Jesus taught us about the application of the Spirit by referring to it as our peace, as I shared that story with you. So we let out our peace to see how it affects the person or persons to whom we are explaining the gospel. And that's the whole, that's like the bottom line. You preach the gospel. It's one thing if it's just human words. You may be very smart, but how much better if you are anointed and the Holy Spirit sneaks around the person you're talking to and pokes them in the ribs and they feel something. They get a jolt and I love it when I see that. I've preached before and seen people suddenly start doing this. And I've seen it several times around the world. Different nations, different people. It doesn't matter. They felt something and were looking to see what was pouring on them. And I asked, I asked wherever different countries they describe it different ways. I said, what do you feel? They said, it just feels like something is pouring on me. Mm -hmm. I don't have to go into much, but I do know when I see these things that God is moving. Another thing people start doing is they start scratching. They start itching. They start feeling something. Because it's a tangible reality, the Holy Spirit is. And so this is a demonstration. If, if the people that are hearing your message are worthy of that peace, you can feel it go into them. If they are not worthy of it, and I'm going to qualify that in a moment, what does it say? You, it comes back to you. So that's the anointing. You let it out. If it finds someone worthy, you feel the vacuous drawing of the Spirit. You feel it pulling out of you. But if it is running up against a dead wall, you will actually feel a reverberation and it will come back. So what do you do? You just take it back. We say, well, what do you mean they're not worthy? God's deciding they're not worthy. No, it has more to do with a couple of interesting levels that I was meditating on this morning. One of the reasons why people do not receive is because they're not yet there. They will be. They may be. But I find that spirituality, and that's what the rest of this chapter is pretty much dedicated to, spirituality of a relationship with the Holy Spirit is incrementally and evolutionary in its, in its happening. And you come into different levels and depths. And so you let it out. If it doesn't, that's fine. Now, sometimes if they re reject the gospel entirely, you may have to shake the dust off your feet and so on. But a lot of times you're just kind of feeling out what is there. It's like fishing. You throw the fishing lure in the water and you just draw it through and see if something bites it. And that's how I feel every time I preach. I'm like throwing a lure out there and seeing who's going to bite it. And some bite and some don't. Now, this is what it means to operate in the anointing of the Spirit. I often demonstrate in accordance with what the Spirit initiates. In other words, I will not do anything until I see the Holy Spirit doing it. And the Holy Spirit's not doing it. Well, I may put a little pressure on the Holy Spirit. I may ask. I like what Smith Wigglesworth used to say, when the Spirit doesn't move, move the Spirit. Because we are in this generation now where we take it by force. You say, well, you can't make God move. Oh, yes, you can. I've done it thousands of times. I've been in rough areas with, with hard hearts and nobody wanted to hear it. And I just pushed and pushed and pushed. Part of this message was last night I had a dream. And in the dream I was standing and it looked like somewhat of a small coliseum. And there were uh, bleacher type seats that went up, up high. And the lights were dimmed and it was dark. And I was on some type of stage and I felt very nervous and afraid in my dream. But I just kept preaching. And I just kept preaching, and I got more and more confident. And finally, I was like at a fever pitch, screaming out the Word of God. And something hit the whole place. And the strangest thing was all of them had handphones 
with red lights on them. Every person was shining red lights that looked like eyes at me. And in the dream, I turned to someone. I said, those are demons. And demons will do everything they can to stop people from entering into the fullness of the Spirit. As they work against it all the time. And so we're in a war, yes, but we don't have to worry about that. We have the power of the Spirit. So in a place like a church, we find that there are usually... Well, everyone's open. I mean, we come to church for a reason. We don't come here to play religious games. We come here to actually interact with God. And it's not just, well, okay, I get to check this off my religious list. I'll feel a lot better about myself. I can pat myself on the back. I went to church, whew, got that duty over. No, that shouldn't be our attitude toward going to the house of God. We're here to learn. We're here to grow. That's primarily because we're here for that purpose, to receive. And, it's, and there's an openness in churches. But the Holy Spirit doesn't just hang out in church. The Holy Spirit's in the market. The Holy Spirit's at the Kopitiam. The Holy Spirit's at the Starbucks. The Holy Spirit's at fair price. I've seen the power of the Holy Spirit hit people in the strangest places because wherever you go, he goes with you. You're a carrier. We have this treasure. So this initial openness that everyone has sets the stage for us to accept revelation, spiritual influences that the Holy Spirit's important. Let's look at number two. The Spirit reveals things prepared for us. And this is exciting to me. <laughs> However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it's written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things. Everybody say the things. The things which God has prepared for those who love him. If you love him, say amen. That means almighty God has prepared things for you. You understand what I'm saying? Things. Now the things, this word things keeps popping up in this chapter throughout the rest of the chapter. And these things are not natural things. These things are spiritual things. Those things you feel even right now. You feel that. And when we speak about it, it becomes reality. Because the anointing and the things of spirit are voice activated. Just if I said things long enough to you, you will increase in an understanding of what I'm saying. Because that's what the Bible calls it. It says your eye hasn't seen it. But you know what Jesus says about eyes. The natural eyes cannot see anything. But there are spirit eyes. He says that the ear doesn't hear it. Well, we know, he says, whoever has ears to hear what the Spirit says, they will hear. So that means we have spiritual ears. And that means our heart can be spiritually oriented or physically oriented. If it's spiritually oriented, we can receive these things because they had not entered into the heart. But now they can buy this relationship because God has revealed them to us how? Through his spirit. That's so exciting to me. What's exciting is I know without a doubt, even though I've had a lot of wonderful experiences in the Holy Spirit, I have not yet received the sum total of things that he has for me. I like that it says, for our glory. Did you know that God wants to glorify you? What does that mean? Glorification simply means to endow you with heavenly glory so that like Moses, your face glows. And that you have an impact. The anointing of God is upon you and comes out of you, resonates from every fiber of your being. Those things, and things, plural, are because there's so many different types of things. The gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, categorically. Revelations, dreams, visions, everything that has not its origins on an earthly plane. 
You can keep the stuff of the world. The rest of this chapter, in fact, is working hard to distinguish that there are two realms. Don't worry about the earthly realm. Worry about the realm of the spirit because that's where these things are coming from. Very important. The spirit reveals things prepared for us. If God went out, let's see like right now my wife's back there making food. You can smell it. It smells great. She's a chef. She makes wonderful food. I'm already hungry. She's preparing things for us. You can smell it. Savory, wonderful spices, and I'm sure it'll be delicious. What if we just decided, no, we don't want those things. We're not going to eat what she's prepared. She might get her feelings hurt. Well, actually, she'll take it home and make me more fat with it. I'll have to eat it. And I will eat it because it's delicious. But we will partake in that because those things were prepared, especially for us. It's the same with God. How does he feel when his church does not accept the things he prepared for us? I want everything. And if since the days of John the Baptist, it requires that we take it by force, well, move out of the way, because if you're in my way at the buffet, I'm going to shove you aside. You ever see the big uncle that sits there with the fork, eating the prawns right off the buffet? I have actually seen that. I've literally had to push them aside. Happened frequently in Mumbai when I lived there. We would go to the JW Marriott and they would have this huge buffet and you would have these old uncles that would go up there with their fork eating off of the buffet. Very nice, very delicious. They eat us. Hey man, you're eating all the prawns. I'd have to like shove them over a little bit and say, excuse me, excuse me, and get in there. That's how it is sometimes with the things of the Spirit. So God's prepared a plethora of eternal blessings that transcend space and time for us. You understand, these things, and I'm going to get excited a couple of times here, so do, excuse me if I lose myself. But this is exciting stuff to me. These are gifts. These things are gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, the most applicable natural places can find function for these things but their origins are always eternity in fact none of them are visible the greatest things you will ever receive you cannot see and if our value system shifts to those things versus these things Nothing can limit our spiritual growth, our understanding, our contentment in life. And this is what he has for us. He wants to uncover those treasures to us via the meditation of his words. That's what revelation. Revelation is just apocalypto of logos, the uncovering of words. He just takes the lid off of it. Check that out. You can go to a pot and know that it smells good, but if you don't know what's inside of it, you may curtail your hunger. But if you uncover it, oh, and you see it, that's different. I mean, if you have not been hungry, and you said, I'm not hungry, but then you saw it. It's the same with Revelation. There are things in the Word we've never seen. that The Holy Spirit just can't wait to take the pot lid off and show us. And that's what He does. It's revealed by the Spirit. And the passage means that no natural eye can see it, but we can have spiritual eyes. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Do I have it on the slides? I don't know. I'll just mention it. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you will live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, what? Abba, Father. Right, we're crying out to God. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. The things are our inheritance. And they are not things simply kept for eternity. They are things meant for us to enjoy right here on earth. And deep calls to deep. I don't know about you, but the Holy Spirit is whispering my name all the time. Stephen, Stephen, come check this out. Always drawing me. I'll read passages. I'm a pastor. I have a lot of messages. Sometimes I preach five, six times in a day. I'm rushed, you know, and I'll go through the scripture. And sometimes I feel like I'm cheating it. I just get through it. But then he says, no, you need to take a closer look. That's why commonly on Sunday morning, this morning I woke up at 2.15. It's crazy. Like, would you please let me sleep? He's like, no, Stephen, come see. Come see. I have some things.
things for you. And I go into the Word, and it's alive, and I'm so glad I didn't go back to sleep. But we, we fight this flesh. The flesh is always telling us, don't. But there's so much, and I'm so glad deep is calling to deep. His Spirit with my Spirit bearing witness with one another. Sometimes they don't even let me be involved in the conversation. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit just take over your spirit? And actually, essentially, that's what you're doing when you speak in tongues. Your spirit's just having a ball with them because your spirit is a captive in a cage called you. It just wants to break free and do things, but it's living life. It's waiting. It has a calendar that counts backwards to your physical death, and it can't wait. Either that or the return of Christ. And it is fine-tuned to that moment. Our spirits leap. I have, God has shown me my spirit, small s, a few times. He's nuts. He's a maniac. He's like constantly, Jesus! He's like those crazy fanatics that you see. He so stretches himself to reach. And it's my flesh that always says, calm down, Stephen. Calmed. I'm always shoving him back in the box. He's, ah, he wants to run and leap and scream. And sometimes we just got to let him out. He's like a happy dog. You ever see the dog and you get home, the dog wants to go out and, and you hear, it hears the keys or the chain. And that's how my spirit, your spirit is so eager and deep calls to deep. The Holy Spirit's calling. It's like, would you please let him come out and play? He wants us to become more spiritual so he can have that with us. Let me move on before I get lost. Number three, the Spirit searches deep things of God. Now we're going into this deeper, no pun intended. 1 Corinthians 2.10. For the Spirit searches, what things? All things. The deep things. Yes, the deep things of God. Now what caught my eye here this morning when I was uh, reading this was it infers that there are depths of spiritual awareness. If there are deep things, and we know that some things are deep, then we can also realize that there are things that are shallow. Right? Those are the basic principles. Face value things we see in Scripture. Simple things. Glorious things. Wonderful eternal things. But if there is a depth, I want to go there. And the Holy Spirit is my key to doing that. Because He is the one that brings us to those deep things. He's the one that wants us to know it. This is the same as the depths of intelligence in natural parliaments or realms. There are some people smarter than us, honestly. You know, I meet um, people all the time. I love, go talk to Michele and, and Andrea and go meet their friends. They, a lot of their friends are brilliant, highly educated people. I sometimes feel a little bit lost in the crowd. Uh, but I, I like being around educated people, intelligent people. Um, I, I, of all things, I have this meeting I do on Fridays with an atheist and a theologian. And they are both very smart, intelligent people. I love talking to them. So there are natural realms, natural depths. Right, I'm sure you've met people in your thought. Ravi Zacharias is one of those. I mean, he just, gosh, his knowledge like makes me feel like I know nothing, and I know a lot, but that's nothing compared to what some people know. Well, it's exactly the same in the spirit. There are spiritual depths, and and there are measures and standards that God keeps concerning our comprehension of spiritual knowledge. And it is not that he is exclusively limiting some people to a deeper depth, you understand. And some people in the shallows. In the shallows. He's not going to leave you there. You can go to the depths, but you're going to have to want it. So it's there waiting for the one that asks and keeps on asking and so on and so forth. And that's where I, I actually wrote it in a note here. We seek and ask and knock on spiritual doors that lead to eternal values of awareness until those doors open. And that's a problem with a lot of us is that we don't knock long enough. We read a little bit and we could. Sometimes you have to get up at 2.15 in the morning to knock long enough. Sometimes I stare at, at two verses on my computer screen for three hours and get nothing. But I know, it's like I feel there's something there. It's got, I just keep waiting and keep waiting. It's like looking at those 3D art pictures, you know, the ones we had to look just right and you focus and then suddenly you see the dimensions come out. That's how I read my Bible. 
Because sometimes you don't see it, but the Holy Spirit wants to bring you there. Very exciting work that he does. This can only happen when we allow the Holy Spirit to take our hand and lead us there. No natural man can do that. And this is where it's difficult for me as a Bible teacher. I cannot bring people really into the depths of spirit. I can illustrate. I can demonstrate. I can be a tupos, as Peter calls us, an example to the flock. I can create an image. But if you don't go after it in this self-serve era of the church, then you will never make it. And it is somewhat by osmosis. You can sit in the anointing, marinating long enough that things start to get to you. But you have to want to even do that. And some people don't do that. Some people are oblivious or, in fact, close. They will close their arms and just look or they'll play Candy Crush or something, whatever. Check Facebook posts. Whatever the case so it is with the Spirit. We, we, we need to allow the Holy Spirit. Number four, let's go into that before we run out of time. The Spirit knows the things of God. Now, this seems infantile in statement, but it's true. But let me say what I mean. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man that is or which is in him? So if I took your spirit, imagine if I could take your spirit out. It's the analogy I use all the time. If I could take your spirit out and have a conversation with it, there's nothing I won't know about you. you. You think? Imagine if your spirit could talk to somebody about you. And in fact, there's things you as a natural, intelligent person do not know that your spirit Your spirit knows motives and feelings and ideas and hidden things, suppressed traumatic experiences from you. It knows everything. It has all the dirt on you. And if I could somehow separate your spirit from you, I could. there's nothing I cannot learn from you. If the CIA knew how to pull a spirit out and talk to it, it would do it, just for intelligence gathering. It would find everything we need to know. And that's what this means. For what, what man knows the things of a man except the spirit that's in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God, which is very exciting. Now we see an even greater understanding of why we so desperately need this relationship. Your relationship with Him, there's nothing you cannot know about God. Just like if I took Nellie's spirit out, I, there's nothing I wouldn't know about Nellie or about Gideon or about Caleb. I could just bring, I know everything if I wanted to, and thank God that that doesn't happen. I'm glad nobody can access my spirit and pull it out. There's things I don't want you to know. And I'm sure you have things you do not want me to know. But God's spirit is not hiding anything. God's spirit's just the opposite. He's like broken out and wants to expose all of God to you. He wants to tell you every little secret and every little thing. Not just what the Bible says, but even deeper than that. Explanations, things between the lines, what we call uh, rhema, the revelation of the word of God. Very important. For what man knows it, except even so, no one knows the things. So the concept of your spirit being the most informed part of you is the same with the Holy Spirit. If we can have a man's spirit, there's nothing we don't know. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. If we have the Spirit of the Lord in us, and we truly yield to Him, we will gain understanding of His heart and ways and subsequently change our behavior and perspectives of life to fit in. That's what it actually means to walk in the Spirit. It doesn't mean just like, you know, hallelujah, praise the Lord, you know, throw some terms around and act spiritual. It means you're actually walking in a capacity of understanding God and Spirit in a depth that maybe no, no one else has, or at least not everyone shares. Also, God wouldn't limit us and put us on levels and depths. Oh, yeah, he had 70, and then he had 12, and the 12 were separate. And, and always said of them, parenthetically, privately, he said to the 12. He also said to them, to you is made known the secrets of the kingdom. To them on the outside, it is not, which, by the way, he made that in context to the 70 versus the 12, not the world. So why did the 12 in there? Well, for a number of reasons. They sought it. They followed. There were others that did not follow. I think truly the rich young ruler was supposed to be part of that crew, and he just couldn't do it. It's not everyone can. Number five, 
The Spirit is from God and not of this world. Well, duh. Because we know the Spirit. No, let me explain. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. This is referring to the things again. There are these things that he wants us to have. How will we know that? Well, you need to understand that the spirit of the world is not going to give it to you. The spirit of the world includes the spirit of wisdom of this world. You know there's a divergence between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. In fact, man's wisdom is called foolishness to God. But vice versa as well. The things of God are seemingly foolish to the people who do not know God. So it's all about our fellowship with spirit. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Freely he's giving us these things, these abilities, these endowments, these anointings, these revelations, things that are coming down from above. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. The eternal one is giving us these things. Who's going to bring it to this? Who's going to show us? Well, the Spirit of God does, not the Spirit of this world. So, really, the Spirit of the world, I'm going to give a brief, brief explanation of this. Theologically, I went through the whole thing, but let me just break it down for you quickly, and then we'll go on. The Spirit of the world can be understood in one of three ways. In one interpretation, the Spirit of the world is a demonic spirit, or perhaps Satan in particular. Because we know that the scripture says, for instance, the ruler of this world in John chapter 12, verse 31, John chapter 14, verse 30, also in um, John chapter 16, verse 11, there's references to the ruler of this world. The God of this world is mentioned in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, as we're going through and seeing what we just read. So he is the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, it says in Ephesians, you know that passage. So that's one way of looking at it. Well, what is the wisdom of this world? What is this, the wisdom of the devil? Well, Satan's the god of this world, so pretty much anything that's not from God is from that. Or from humanity, then you have humanism, which a gentleman was telling me the other day, I just can't believe that I believe that all men are basically good. I said, well, I don't. I don't see that. I read the news. I don't think man is basically good. I think man is basically bad and evil, but man can be good by choice. But in basics, we're all sinful. It depends on perspective. But the God of this world leads people. This is the children of disobedience under that. Now, there are other suggestions uh, that, like for instance, Paul maybe wasn't referring to an evil spirit here, but rather a mindset, an attitude, thinking in terms of the time-based linear existence versus thinking in terms of eternal status. The wisdom of God is eternal. Now, all the things of God are eternal, but the things of man are temporal. And therefore, all their limits, all their parameters, and all their weight is built upon natural standards. And so this is one way of looking at it. I think both are applicable. So it's, it's humanity's sinful disposition that will cause their wisdom to take over. That is humanism in itself. When you pull from the pool of self, your wisdom and your understanding, then you're basing it upon what? Logistics, empirical evidence, what can be proven without a doubt. I see it, I touch it. There's more to that. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's the substance of things, hope for the evidence of things unseen. So you have to connect with invisibility. So a third view, actually, is that the spirit of the world is, is human wisdom in general, like the education of scholastic endeavors, the academia out there. You get a degree from whatever university, whatever the case. But whatever it is, we know that it is differentiated from the wisdom that God gives us from his spirit, and it is that that reveals these things that we're talking about. And once again, I can sit here and talk to you all day. I can pull out my fullest vocabulary and be as intelligent as I can. And you might not learn thing one. Because I'm a man. But if the Holy Spirit can operate simultaneously in fellowship with me while I'm speaking, he can flip switches in you I can't even find. And that's what we depend upon as God's anointed preachers and teachers. So... Really, this, this whole concept compounds my early explanation of the spirit versus the natural, 
means of acquisition of wisdom. Like you can learn things from a book. The spirit of this world being as, as seen here, the natural knowledge would be able to give us all that the world has to offer. And there's a lot in this world, honestly. And it's a, it's a noble thing. Even the Bible says to acquire knowledge and understanding and wisdom. That's what Solomon did. And Solomon was the best. There's nothing he didn't find out. He applied himself to it. I broke uh, um, uh, recently Ecclesiastes down. It's kind of a rich teaching, but it's eight components of what he discovered and the futility of it. But categorically, amazing man. One of the smart, well, the Bible says the wisest man that ever walked the earth. But that's all natural. And so man will give you that. But if you're trying to accomplish spiritual things, you're an engineer and you're trying to build a building. Okay, hey, you need an engineering degree. If you're a doctor practicing physical medicine and you're not depending upon a supernatural healing of faith, please do your residency and your years of preparation before you cut into me. I want you to have all the knowledge necessary for you to do your job. Don't come to my house to fix my plumbing if you've never touched a pipe. You know what I mean? There's natural learning you have to have. But that's not what we're talking about in this chapter. We're talking about spirit. The world has a lot to offer, but it's not going to help you in the realms of the spirit. Can't even touch it. Can't even. God giggles at our wisdom. At our heights and depths of knowledge, he snickers. Says, the Bible says he sits in the heavens and laughs. <laughs> what are you laughing at? They think they're so smart. Because he knows so much. And all of his wisdom is celestial and surpasses time and space. So how will we ever get to know that? That's what I'm trying to tell you. If you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you then have taken His Spirit. What can know better about a man than his spirit? So also with the Holy Spirit. Spiritual things. And that's number six. We're almost done. The Spirit teaches spiritual things. You know, when a Bible teacher says we're almost done, that means you probably have an hour left. No, I'm kidding. It won't be that long. We only have two points. I'm going to get this done in about three minutes and 16 seconds. Okay, so these things were all, we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spirit. Now, this is exciting because this is what I've been rambling on all night about and what I've been doing. That the Holy Spirit can cause our earth words to speak things that will illuminate the spiritual things. That they are terms and references, but we are speaking about eternal things. Not in words which man's wisdom teaches us, but that means that the Holy Spirit can teach us wisdom from words. I mention again Ravi Zacharias. If he has one gift I can put my finger on, it's gainsay. He can see, he like Jesus had, you know, like render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. He who has no sin cast the first stone. You know those those fun phrase that shuts everything down. Ravi has that ability. Really amazing. I I coveted it when I saw it. I was like, I want that gift. Because really, any it's to by force. I can take it. And maybe that's why now all the the, the atheists are finding me. Whatever the case. The Spirit teaches spiritual things, and then we in turn do the same. So there are natural and there are spiritual things. The Spirit does not necessarily teach you the natural things. You can do that on your own. Why does the Holy Spirit have to teach you natural things when he gave you a brain? God created you with the physical brain matter to do that. Your brain is amazing. What it can accomplish. I prove it to people all the time. Linguistics and learning and memorization. I show them how to build mind castles. I can have them memorize 50 things in in three minutes and they can't believe they did it you just need to know how to use the tool all wisdom like that but that's all natural nothing I know about any intelligence has ever helped me connect to the Holy Spirit never in fact often has driven me further away so there's a moment that I have to lay down the natural and just in uh, dr. Rodney Howard Brown used to say it like this get out of your head and get into your heart get out of your head, into your heart. He would do it hard. Out of your head, into your heart. Out of your head. And when he'd say it, we'd start laughing because we realize you're right. I have to stop thinking here. I have to start thinking with my cardia. The center of my being. 
where God dwells. When the Holy Spirit touches you, where do you feel it? Right there, from your innermost being. It's all right there in the center. And here Paul makes it clear that the Holy Spirit teaches not natural but spiritual concepts that can only analogously be mentioned or explained in natural terms, i.e. parables. That's what parables are. You can use this world to try to describe the spiritual things which Jesus did. But he failed because he would say, if I'm trying to explain to you natural things, spiritual things, true natural things, how will you understand if I just go into full spirit gear? If I start talking to you straight out, you're never going to understand what I'm saying. But his disciples were getting there, which means we can grow and learn. And I love speaking spiritual concepts and ideas. It says we also speak this wisdom, God's wisdom. Number seven, we finish with this one. The spirit is supernaturally discerned, but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God. Now Paul's like angry. All right, look. I know it all. I've said all the way up to here, down through the last 13 verses, but finally you need to get this. The natural man's just not going to get it. You cannot possibly receive the things, again, of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Well, we have the mind of Christ. That's probably the greatest part. If, if the, sums it up. What is the advantage of this chapter? You have the mind of Christ. That's why when he says that, that's the end of the chapter. Can't say anymore. That's the cherry on top of the ice cream sundae. We have the mind of Christ. <laughs> that's so exciting. So I can turn off the Stephen mind and just get out of my head into my heart. Because the mind of Christ is actually what comes and resonates from us on the inside. One passage left in closing. Luke chapter 10, verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. He's talking about fishermen. Because these are his 12. The 70 were before this. They're the ones saying, hey, the demons are subject to oh, I saw Satan cast like lightning. It was a, he was banished like that. Don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And then he, at that time, this, he got so excited after he said it that he was full of joy through the Holy Spirit. Another passage where it said he exceedingly rejoiced, which is 1611 court of King James ease, for he jumped around like a wild animal. That's what it says in the Greek, like a gazelle. He was so excited, he just started jumping. Jesus. And I, you know, because I don't subscribe to the greasy Jesus Renaissance painting version of the, oh, you know, that my Jesus is happy. He's smiling. He's laughing. When I pray, he walks in the room and says, what's up? He's like always energetic. And I love my Jesus. I have so much fun with him. This is the one I know. At that time, Jesus is full of joy through the Holy Spirit. So I praise you, Father. Thank you so much that you didn't restrict these depths of knowledge in these things their eyes have seen to the people who are learned, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the doctors of the law. No, you gave it to a bunch of fishermen. You're awesome, Daddy. He like was so excited, which makes me excited because most of you know my education. Three years in eighth grade, dropped out in ninth. Drug dealer, thief, every bad thing that could be I was. And if God can use me, I know I'm the fulfillment of the scripture. He uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Revealed to them, these little children, yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. He's saying, this is what turns you on. This is what you like to do. You enjoy this, don't you, Daddy? You like doing that. Giving it to the people. Because it is not about your intelligence. It's about your hunger in the kingdom of God especially spirit capacity. It has nothing to do with how smart you are, how educated you are. It has everything to do with how determined, how focused you are on spirit versus flesh. 
And that's our job and what we do. So these are the seven things we did. That's it. I'm finished. I promise. Seven things about the Spirit. The Spirit demonstrates to convince. That's why we have this relationship. The Spirit reveals things prepared for us. He wants to show you. If you take the time to close your eyes and look in the Spirit, He will show you things you've never seen before. The Spirit searches deep things of God. That means He wants to bring you to that place where there is a greater depth for you. The Spirit knows the things of God. Of course He does. We know the answer to that is the end where it says we have the mind of Christ, but the Spirit knows the thing, so it behooves us to have a very close relationship with the Holy Spirit because He knows it all. The Spirit is from God and not of this world. I know the world's got great wisdom, and if you want to learn world's wisdom and world's ways, that's great, but if you want to learn Spirit, that's how you do it, through the Spirit. The Spirit teaches spiritual things. And we teach those spiritual things in spiritual words he gives to us. The Spirit is supernaturally discerned. Amen?